તમે લોકો આ ઇન્ટરવ્યુ સમજીને ઘણા જ ખુશ થઈ જાઓ Welcome to Strings Attached. My name is Asaf Maud. I'm a musician most of my life, and I found out recently that I love talking to people, tell their story, their path, and mostly I love to connect between their world and my world of music. So just before we start, Strings Attached is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I invite you to press the follow button so you would never miss an episode. This is Zubin Mehta, the ex-music director of the Great Israel Philharmonic Orchestra. Let me start by telling you a story that you probably forgot, but the day of my first audition to the Israel Philharmonic, and um, I, I got in, and I went to talk to you and say thank you, Maestro, for you know, accepting me to this orchestra, and you told me, I heard that you are half Indian, so now we are one and a half Indians in the orchestra. <laughs> so thank you for that. And, You're uh, welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, my, my father always told me, my father is an engineer, and he always told me, you know, I'm envious of you. You, through the music, through the violin, you live a life that is uh, extraordinary. You travel the world. You play in wonderful halls. You see places. He says... I would trade with you in a heartbeat. Your father, who, who was a musician, a conductor, do you think that he would like to trade with you at some point, you know, with your musical journey? Well, I traded with him, actually. <laughs> uh, I grew up worshipping him because he was a very good violinist. Especially he, when he went, after he went to New York for five years, studied with Ivan Galamian, the great violin teacher, came back, and I just heard the entire violin repertoire firsthand at home through his practicing and performing in public because he was a self-taught violinist before he left for New York after the war. And he came back really a finished musician. He had his string quartet, and then he... also conducted the orchestra occasionally in Bombay. And it was a great education for me to see him working with the strings. He was a hard taskmaster. God forbid if he caught one second violin <laughs> not playing in the same part of the bow as the rest of the group. You used to listen to, I read in your biography, that you listened to a lot of chamber music, a lot of symphonic music. Is there any piece that you heard back then and then you revisited when you were, let's say, older or more educated that you... Well, definitely the answer would be the four Brahms symphonies. Those were almost the reason why I wanted to be a conductor. I wanted to conduct these four symphonies. And I knew them by ear very well. I didn't learn how to read a score very well. back then I discovered each one one by one through recordings we had at home and you know although those recordings in the 40s didn't have the sound of today still I heard the right tempos <laughs> so by ear I knew it then I studied and each one became a revelation 
And then I played some of them in the orchestra also in Vienna as a student. So I got to know them really inside out. One of the first concerts I heard in Vienna was the Brahms First Symphony with the Vienna Philharmonic. And after hearing the Bombay Orchestra for the first 18 years of my life, to hear the Vienna Philharmonic in the Musikverein under a great conductor was an audio revolution for me. What do you think about the difference between your uh, recordings that you had on you know, LPs compared to today that is accessible, you can press on YouTube and, and hear any recording? Well, in a way, I'm very proud of my first recordings from the 60s and 70s with the Los Angeles Philharmonic and Israel Philharmonic because they were all two-track recordings. Later on, multi-track, the engineers would fool around without even the conductor's permission. <laughs> Or the conductor would say, after the recording session, listening back, says, give me more oboe here, give me more. That was not in my day. In my day, Decca recorded faithfully my balancing of the orchestra. In other words, if I wanted more oboe, I would do it at the session and not play him up later on because it wasn't even possible with a two-track system. And you can listen to those recordings today and they are really faithful sound recordings of what I imagined as a conductor for that particular piece. When you look back on this beginning of your journey and the person you are today, would you give yourself an advice that would change the, the way, the path you took? Well, you know, it depends on the orchestra also and it depends on the individuals in the orchestra. If you do a Berlioz symphony or a Brahms, there are solos written for different instruments, woodwinds or brass, And these are played by great musicians in the foremost orchestras. In the Vienna Philharmonic, you will have a horn player who will interpret the second Brahms' first movement in one way. So we have to be flexible. Uh, if it's completely against my original conception, I would say very respectfully, please, <laughs> this is what I think you should do. But usually these are very fine musicians. When I first came to the Israel Philharmonic, even though the orchestra in 1961 wasn't of the standard it is today, they had still very fine soloists. The first bassoon that I grew up with here, Mordecai Reshman, is a giant of my past that I learned so much from and all his colleagues also. Uh, Danny Benyamini, who is the first viola, and Chaim Taub, one of the greatest concertmasters that I knew in my life. And his co-concertmaster, Uri Pianka, were great inspirations for me. I must say, as a young conductor, I absorbed a lot that they taught me without, without even speaking to me. Is it important for you or for a conductor to be friendly with the musicians or 
maybe the old generation of, of conductors that were kind of tyrants? As a young music director, I was very friendly with many musicians in Montreal and then in Los Angeles also. I would be at their homes invited for meals and discuss endlessly my dreams uh, and what they thought and what the, their opinion was, etc. So uh, it's very important what you asked me just now. Uh, yes, I told the musicians in Los Angeles when I first came, I said, I'm going to start almost learning my repertoire with you guys. If you have any suggestions, please, my door is open. Well, I had a queue outside my door <laughs> for many seasons because they were fine musicians in Los Angeles. They had played before me with Otto Klemperer, Bruno Walter, Stravinsky, and I learned a tremendously amount from them. And then I would go to guest conduct every year, Vienna and Berlin. which I have not stopped till today. Even today, do you find it necessary or easy for you? When, do you need a musical advice or you have a, a thought? Do you have anybody yeah. to approach? Maybe talk through some, some ideas? Well, I have wonderful colleagues with whom I discuss a lot, of course. But is it, uh, does it diminish from your, let's say, stature as, you know, Zubin Mehta? Not at all. Uh, even today... If I'm doing the Third Symphony of Brahms and there's an oboe player who has his own interpretation and convinces me, I am completely flexible. I had the good fortune, for instance, of observing Raphael Kubelik teach the Vienna Philharmonic the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra, which they had not played before. Wow. But this, you know, it was in the mid-50s. <laughs> the Vienna Philharmonic has a huge repertoire. Of course. Because they play every night at the opera. So they can play you Bohème and Wozzeck almost without rehearsal. But the Bartok Concerto, they needed Kubelik to come and rehearse. I heard Bruno Walter do the Mahler Fourth Symphony, which I noticed that a lot of them hadn't played it before. So, uh, and in Los Angeles, I would go to recording sessions of Bruno Walter. I was there when he recorded Mahler's Ninth Symphony, which I didn't know at, at all, and nor did the orchestra. And he was a very patient old man. He wanted to put it down on paper before he passed. And uh, so those experiences I cannot forget. And then, of course, I sang in the choir in Vienna. That must have been quite, uh, yes, quite a... Yes, I wanted to look at the conductors from that point of view. And I can sing you the Misa Solemnis <laughs> or the Brahms Requiem tomorrow morning by heart. <laughs> So you are talking about all these amazing conductors, which I wish I, I would have played with, under them. And I wonder, do you feel like you are approachable for other people to learn from your wisdom? Do you, do you, do you well, I'm very open. When young conductors want to come to rehearsals, I never say no. 
Because when I was young, a lot of conductors did not allow me to come to rehearsals. And is there anything in uh, nowadays education of, of musicians, of conductors? You know, we are taught many things. Do you think there's something basic that is lacking? Maybe something you wish well, they Somebody taught? asked me recently, what is your advice to young conductors? What would you... I would say, tell them to come prepared to the first rehearsal. <laughs> It's very important because the orchestra judges conductors immediately what their knowledge is, what their technique is, what their rehearsal process is, because we also have to be psychologists. Also, to answer your previous question, we have to know the musicians. It's not easy. When you guest conduct, you cannot know all of them. But when you're music director, I think I have known my musicians personally, not 100%, it's impossible, but most of them. And in Israel, people who'd love to discuss. So at rehearsals, sometimes when the discussions get too animated, I have to look at my watch and say, look, we have to be prepared for the concert also. You, you said somebody asked you for advice. I would like to ask you the opposite question. Is there any advice you wish you would have gotten through the years and nobody gave you this advice? Somebody, something that would have shortened the way or helped you? Well, I was fortunate. I wouldn't say studying, but visiting great masters like Bruno Walter and Herbert von Karajan, who were very open with me with advice. I studied Tristan and Isolde with Karajan. Studied means I sat with him for hours and we went through the score and he gave me advice about how to rehearse, which are the important uh, voices uh, to prepare in the orchestra, etc. Bruno Walter uh, talked to me a lot about Mahler's first symphony and he would run to the piano and give me little examples and I was sitting there listening to Bruno Walter playing piano <laughs> So I was very fortunate. And going to rehearsals a lot. And then I was very indebted and close to my teacher, Hans Swarovski. He was one of the most intellectually powerful people I've ever met. A young conductor who, because of his being Jewish, was not allowed to practice during the war. But he became close to Richard Strauss. And not having any work, he spent a lot of time with Strauss. And Strauss conducted a lot during the war, both in Berlin and Vienna. And Swarovski learned a lot from him, even as a conductor, about tempo relationships in Mozart operas. A tempo relationship in a Mozart symphony between the introduction and the allegro. All these things were revelations for me. He would come to my rehearsals and make comments also. And I was quite open. And I, one has to be humble. One has to have the flexibility of, of discussion. Discussion is very important. You don't have to argue and just say, look, I don't agree and walk away. Healthy discussion is very important. A few years ago, you conducted here uh, Traviata, and now we're doing uh, Tosca here. And I feel like you have a superpower. Like, you shine 
when there's an opera. The, 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 uh, and I'm curious to know what's your superpower? What is your connection to this uh, world of opera that makes you shine, bring the best out of you? Well, I learned opera in Vienna. I didn't even know opera on records in India because my father being a violinist, he didn't buy too many operas <laughs> and not too many uh, operas were recorded in those days. So I learned opera from the standing room of the Vienna Opera almost on a nightly basis. And the Vienna Opera in those days had Joseph Cripps, Rudolf Kempe, Metropolis, Karajan, Karl Böhm. I mean, every night there was a great conductor. And I went almost blind because I would take my score and the standing room has hardly any light. So not having recordings at home as a student in Vienna, I would listen to these recorded performances that level at the opera house. And to learn Mozart in the Vienna Opera, learning, hearing them play Così Fan Tutte, Don Giovanni, the, the style of the violinists. I remember I conducted Mozart's Entführung in, at the Salzburg Festival. And Milstein was my guest. He sat behind me in the first row and he told me afterwards, he says, you know, Looking at these Viennese violinists, how they hold their bow, I could tell that they are absolutely hopeless. But when I heard them, I was wrong. <laughs> Because holding the bow that they, the way they did, it's completely against our Russian technique. Yet they made the most beautiful and convincing Mozart sound. After you were talking about these times in Vienna, I'm curious to know... If nowadays when you make music, are you trying to maintain the past or do new things for the future? Well, it's a little bit of both. What I learned from my professor regarding Mozart operas, I can never give up the, the relationship of tempos. On the other hand, I learned from great stage directors. I did La Traviata with Zeffirelli, in Paris, and Fidelio with Giorgio Strehler in Italy, one of the great stage directors, and listening to them how they coach the singers to become actors, and then using the music and not losing their power of the articulation of the word to conduct the second act of Tosca is an exercise in evil. <laughs> and if you have a great Scarpia, who is the personification of evil, torturing this poor woman, and Puccini's music reflecting that, and yet, if you play it too loud, the audience won't be, hear a note of the baritone singing. So all that has to be done at rehearsal and done in a very classically trained way. Because then you'll have some singers who just rush to the edge of the stage and they don't care about their partner left behind at the back of the stage. So there's a lot to learn and to improvise 
at the last minute also. You are here now after a few years uh, that you were gone and the audience loves you, the orchestra welcomes you in the fullest warm heart. And it seems to me that you are, are the most free Zubin Meta I've seen in a very long time. Do you feel freer now that there is no burden of being the music director of this orchestra? I never felt uh, not free even as music director. Uh, I was given the freedom of interpretation, but also you mentioned before that I, I engaged all the musicians, but we did it in a democratic process with committees, with, of course, great amount of discussions. And I discovered in the end that the committee made of five or six people, they all want the best for the orchestra in the end. And very few times did I find somebody trying to push his friend in. And if it happens, the committee notices at once. And they put a stop to it before I do. So I'm glad I don't have to do auditions anymore. <laughs> That's for sure. But I see that my successor, Mr. Shani, has engaged very fine musicians. The new first cellist is a joy Wonderful, to listen yeah. to. You have been a great pleasure to talk to. Thank you very much for giving me the time. I'm really? a busy person, so thank I you very much. I hope you have a fine audience listening. Such a great pleasure to sit down with Maestro Zubin Mehta. I felt like I'm talking to a living legend and even managed to get a small compliment from him. I hope you liked this episode as well. And if so, maybe you would like to send it to a friend who might appreciate it. I would really love it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm curious to hear back from you And I'm available on the Facebook page Strings Attached Podcast or in the email address asafpodcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Asaf Dal for creating the great podcast jingle. I love it. I'm Asaf Maoz and this is Strings Attached. <laughs>